Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. Take your Bibles, if you would, open them to Galatians chapter number 4, Galatians 4. As you turn there, let me mention to those of you who are visiting with us, we are in the middle of a study of Galatians. And so we are walking through the book. Originally, and I was even talking with my wife a little bit about this this morning, originally the the folks that would have heard this would have heard this in a letter and it would have come pretty quickly. And a lot of folks think, well, they would have heard the letter, they would have read it, they would have gone on and they would have gone to the next thing. But you have to remember back in the New Testament times, the churches that were meeting, what was the Bible that they had that they preached from every time they got together? They didn't have the book of Galatians. They didn't have Ephesians and First and Second Corinthians and Romans and Matthew and Mark and Luke. They were preaching from the Old Testament. And so they always would have been studying God's word. But when these letters came, they would have begun to study these letters. And this church in Galatians, the church was obviously a church who had been taught very well God's word. Because this is primarily a group of Gentiles. This is who Paul is talking to, and he's about to get into a story that every Jew would know, but most Gentiles would not know unless they had studied the Old Testament. Because he's going to talk about Hagar and Sarah. And that is not something that you're just going to pick up in casual conversation with somebody around church. That's, that means that Paul had been spending a significant amount of time teaching and encouraging them. And I also want to mention this. I am very, very thankful that I have the privilege and opportunity of preaching here at Grace. You know, the Bible says that the time will come in the end days. And I realize that every Christian generation really does think that their generation is the last generation. And I believe that's a longing of our heart. And that is a teaching of the New Testament, the, the any time coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they said they would have teachers that would heap to themselves itching ears. I am thankful that I do not feel the pressure to perform a message for you. There are some churches that the, the, the pastor has to, or the preacher has to do certain things in order to let the people know, hey, we're having church. Now, how many of you remember the old, we, this is what we called them in the north, I don't know what you called them here in the south, but we called them the wind suckers. Do you remember those? They would start being, turn your Bible, you need to get They would do that kind of thing, and, if, and they would get going, and that meant you'd gone to church. And then there were other folks that had to stop and had to scream and had to pound the pulpit, and then people would say, Hey, well, okay, man, we're, we're going to church. He could be reading a recipe for macaroni and cheese, but if he was doing it ex- in an excited way, people would go, hey, man, whoo, that's right, cheddar. You know, they had no idea what was going on, but they would, just, they would just react. I am thankful. I truly, truly am thankful that at Grace Baptist Church, you desire to hear God's word. That is a blessing to a pastor. That is a blessing to my heart to know that I don't have to come up here and present something that will absolutely grip your attention. Now, I think it's wrong for a preacher to be boring. I don't think a preacher should get up and tell God's word in a way that would make people fall asleep. Amen. I think that is a horrible, horrible thing to do. But I'm thankful that I get to stand up and preach on a passage that a lot of folks don't preach on because it's one of the more ignored. In fact, if you're not studying through Galatians, I doubt anybody's just randomly picked this passage. You heard it was read earlier. And some of you may have been sitting there and thinking, boy, this, what are we going to be talking about today? Is this a history lesson? It's not a history lesson. It's continuing in what Paul has been teaching us. Now remember, last week we talked about the difference between the folks that thought they had freedom by doing everything that Christ told them to do and the other folks that thought they had freedom to do whatever they wanted to do. And we gave you this illustration just to kind of sum it up, that there was the law that God has given us, that people had taken this law that was the train tracks on which our life should run, and they took that law and they turned it into a ladder by which they were trying to climb up to God. And so they were trying to do all of these different efforts to try to get to the point where God would accept them. And then the flip side of this coin, the other side, there's no ladder, there's no train tracks, there's no anything, you just get to do whatever you want to do. Well, Paul is getting to the point where he is teaching now, and he even says in this passage, if you caught it, that the Jerusalem above is true freedom. So he's talking about real life, what actual freedom is here. And the final illustration we gave was that when Jesus Christ is formed in you, yes, God's law is going to be a part of your life. It is going to be the things that your life runs on, but it's not going to be what you are performing to do. Christ formed in you is like that illustration of that that diesel locomotive that is just powering you through and you have this wonderful joy, this wonderful excitement. 
But there is also a false freedom, which is what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to be looking at what true freedom actually is. So if you have your Bibles open in Galatians 4, I want you to look down to verse 24 first off. This was something that was a big struggle for me. And I want to get this out of the way because if some of you were paying attention, Paul says something that got, honestly got the modern church, what Paul said didn't do, but the application of it did, got the modern church in a lot of trouble. Paul says this story is an allegory. In verse 24, he says, this story here is an allegory. And that gave freedom to a lot of people to say, hey, you know what? We can look at all the stories of the Bible as an allegory. And there are a couple of problems with this. Number one, that word allegory is actually a transliteration of a word, allegoreo. That's the Greek word, allegoreo. Every once in a while, there were words that instead of being translated, they were transliterated, meaning they took the word and they made it sound like the word in the new language they were going to. You have done this probably at some point in time with Spanish. Right? We do that with Spanish all the time. What do we do with Spanish? We don't know the words, so what do we do? We add an O to the end of it. Where is the bathroom O? Where is the restaurant O? I need to get me a hot dog O. Okay? And we talk about, we add this to it. So what we've done, instead of translating, we transliterate. That happens a few times in in your Bible. Uh, The word Baptist, baptize, is a transliteration of baptizo. A translation of baptizo is immerse. That really would clear up a lot of battles about what baptism is. How do you immerse somebody? Do you immerse them by sprinkling, by pouring, or by immersing them? Well, how do you immerse? I immerse differently. This is how I immerse. I immerse by sprinkling. It, it really makes it very hard to argue if they would have translated instead of transliterated. Allegoreo, come, it comes from two words. It comes from the word speak in public and another. Okay? Goreo uh, is speak in public and ale is another. The idea is to speak before someone in another way. What Paul is saying is he's not saying, I'm going to make this an allegory. What's an allegory? An allegory is a story that the meaning of the story is not within the story itself. And modern churches have done this over and over. The the Genesis chapter one, that's an allegory. God didn't really create, he really used evolution. We really are how many ever billions of years we're up to now, okay? Because they keep changing their minds. Some of you, you were around when the earth was just a couple million years old. And now it's many millions of years old. And the, some of you have been around to see the universe go from a couple of millions to now billions of years old. You've been in it for quite a while. Amen. And it keeps changing and changing. They say, well, it's just an allegory. It's just a hidden meaning. Paul is not saying that. Paul is basically using the word allegoreo. He's saying, let me use this story to illustrate this. This is to speak out in another way. Let, let me show you how this works out. So there is no allegory in the Bible. The Bible means what it says. There is no allegory in the Bible. The Bible means what it says. Okay, that's much more exciting to me as your pastor. It is not. We look at it and go, hmm, what's the hidden meaning? Let me see if I can come up with a hidden meaning. That gets you in trouble, folks. But even if you want to say, well, no, no, this still says allegory, so we're going to say that this is an allegory, well, then I would go back to the reason that it is an allegory then It's because God inspired Paul to tell us that it was. That does not give us the right to go to every other story and allegorize as well. So you have to be very, very careful. Paul is talking about this as an illustration. Now what I want to do, there is a lot in here we're going to pack in, but it's going to help. We're going to look at some things and we're going to continue to bring this together and hopefully have this truth grow and expand in your mind to where you can get what Paul is saying. Because we're going to hit the ground running in Galatians 5 and 6 as he's going to start giving different applications and different things. But we have to make sure that we get this down. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll start there in verse 21. Lord, thank you for the truths of your word. Thank you for the ability to, to sit together, to study, to learn, to have your Holy Spirit teach us. I pray that this morning you would open our eyes wide, open our hearts to your truth. Help us to take it in. Lord, help us to feast on it. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen and nourish us through your word because of your Holy Spirit teaching it to our hearts. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. May they understand the importance of grace. Lord, we've been singing about it all day. Lord, help us to see it in your word. In Christ's precious name, amen. Galatians 4, 21, Paul is talking to them and saying, tell me. He says, listen to me, answer me this, is what he's saying. 
Ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? He's saying, those of you that are going around saying, you have to live a certain way, don't you know what the law, don't you know the story of how the law came about? Is basically what he's saying. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Now, because I don't want to assume that we all know the story, let's walk through the story. We'll put it up there on the screen. You can look at it in your Bible if you would like. This is talking about the time when God promised seed to Abraham. Genesis 15, 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? What Abraham was saying was, I don't have anybody that lives in my house that will be my heir. My head servant is going to get everything. I don't have any progeny to pass it on to. How are you going to do great things for me when I'm done in just a few short moments? Verse four, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, now, you hear it in your Bible all the time, but when you see the words, behold, what does that mean? That means this was kind of surprising. Because of the physical condition of some of our churchgoers this morning, I was tempted, I was just going to scream into the microphone because that would make everybody go, (laughs) but then I thought some of you might have to be carried out. So I'm not going to do that. But that's what behold means. Behold is a, whoa. Okay? Behold is, we look at behold like everything. Behold, there's the church. Behold, there's the door. Behold, there's my pew. No, that's not surprising. If you would have come in today and we had beanbags in here, you would have gone, behold. That's the difference, okay? So Abraham has said, how am I going to have all of these wonderful things that you're talking about when I don't have any children? And then God came and told him something that made Abraham go, behold, here's what it is. He said, this shall be not thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Why was that a behold? Abraham was in his 80s. Not too often do people in their 80s worry about having a kid. Right? Okay, I didn't expect a lot of amens there, but that's just the reality. That's not something that normally happens. And so when God said that, Abraham went, behold, that don't seem right. Something seems up here. Verse five, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven, we're in verse five, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And the great verse in scripture, and he, Abraham, believed in the Lord. And he, God, counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. So Abraham is an 86-year-old dude, okay? God said, you're gonna have a kid. (laughs) Really? And then God said, go outside and look at the stars. Nobody here has ever seen stars like he would have seen. There was no light pollution. There was no city off in the distance that had a football field with a thousand whatever lights that were shining. He looked up and the stars literally would have mostly covered the sky. There would have been more stars than sky. And God said, see those, you're going to have more kids than that. And what was Abraham's response? The great response of faith? Abraham said, okay, I'll believe it. 86-year-old man, okay, sounds good. Abraham believed God, a wonderful, wonderful promise. Now let's go to chapter 16. This is after the promise. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, or Sarai, Abram's wife, bear him no children. No doubt what happened in Abram's heart and life is Abram thought, okay, God promised me kids. Who knows what Abram thought? We'll be able to ask him one day, amen. Maybe he thought that the next morning he was going to walk in and see Sarai and she was going to go, whew, how did this happen? And she was going to be ready to have a baby. Or maybe he thought, okay, eventually she's going to start having opportunities to have a baby. But something was going to happen. Abram was fully expecting that God was going to do exactly what he said. But he didn't. 
And now, Sarah was still barren. And it had been a while since God had promised. We're not told exactly how long it has been, but it's been a little bit of time. And Sarah said to Abram, hey, I've got an idea. Verse 1 of chapter 16 says it this way. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. I've heard this message preached where this was Sarai's fault and all the rest of this. That's not the point of this message. But understand, Abram is the leader, was thinking the same way that Sarai was. God promised me, I still don't have any kids. Maybe we can get it taken care of this way. This is the story that Paul is referencing in Galatians 4. This is what has to be in your mind. Let me ask you a question. Good idea or bad idea for, to, to bring Hagar into the situation? Bad idea. You know that, all right? So Sarah, verse 3, Abram's wife took Hagar, her mate, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt in 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. He went into Hagar, she conceived. And so, God said, Abram, I'm going to give you a child. Sarah never had any kids. And Abram said, and Sarah said, you know what? We're supposed to have a kid. Let's try it this way. Was it God's will for them to have a kid? Yes. Now, I know that we have children in here. But we have to assume that Abram and Sarah, before this time, they were performing everything they had to do as far as on their part to be obedient to what God had called them to do. And God was not blessing to that point. So they said, okay, you know what? God promised a kid. We're going to have a kid. And they had a kid. And they thought that was good. In chapter 17, this is 14 years later. In verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nation. Kings of people shall be of her. God reiterated the promise. Abram, this is what I want you to do. This is what you're going to do. Abraham, it is not about what you can accomplish. I made a promise. I'm going to do what I promised to do. Abraham and Sarah said, let me help God out. Let me help God do what he needs to do. And Abraham actually thought it was a good thing. Watch this. Look at verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that's 100 years old? Shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Understand what's, what, what Abraham's saying. God said, I want you to know you're going to have a kid. And Abraham said, it's not happening this way. But God, let Ishmael be the kid. God, let Abraham step into the throne of the Almighty and let me run the universe for just a couple of minutes. Okay? I know that you said you're going to let us have a kid, right? It's been 14 years. Ishmael's now running around. He's shaven by this point. And Abraham has every logical reason to think, God, this way is better. Let me help take Ishmael. Understand what Abraham is saying here. He's not saying, God, I don't believe you. God, I don't want you. He's saying, God, we've got it. Sarah and I took care of this. We've got Ishmael. Let Ishmael be the son of the promise. But what was the problem? Verse 19, and God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Here is what God said to Abraham. No. What you did is not what I'm doing. No. Ishmael is not the son of promise. I'm going to do what I plan to do. Sarah's going to have a kid. I promised it. I'm going to fulfill it. Verse 1 of chapter 21 says, 
The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Sarah conceived and bare Abram a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. If, God, if Abram thought at 86, it was impossible. I'm sure at 99, he did not think, okay, we're, we're a little bit closer now. But God did what God planned to do. And he told Abram, I'm not taking what you can come up with. The only response to God and his promises is trust. That is what Paul is trying to teach here. Now go back to Galatians chapter 4. We're now in verse 23. He who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Here's what Paul is saying. He's He's requiring them to bring up the knowledge in their mind, but he's saying Ishmael was born of the flesh. That's what Abraham did. That was his attempts. But Isaac, he was the son of promise, okay? So Isaac was trust, Ishmael was effort. Verse 24, which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Really quickly, what he's talking about, it answereth to Sinai and to Jerusalem. Both Sinai and Jerusalem were wrong responses to God. In Exodus chapter 24, Moses came and told all the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice. Can you imagine hearing all of the law of God and after you've gotten the entire law of God, everybody going, all right, we'll do it. Not one person went, y'all, that's pretty, that's pretty intense. I don't think we're going to be able to do all this. Not one person said that. Not one person said, Lord, how can we do this unless you help us? We'll never be able to, which is what God wanted. They all went, okay then, I'm down with that. Let's roll. We'll do it. The, the, the Israelites, the original Israelites, the OG Israelites, they were the ones that said, we're going to do this. And Paul said, this answers to Mount Sinai and it answers to Jerusalem now. And what does Jerusalem now do? The Pharisees doing, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to figure out how much you can carry and still have this much in this hand and this much in this hand, fulfill all the law. They are still giving their effort. And he says this, gendereth to bondage, meaning what was born of a slave is still a slave. Now this would have been very, very offensive to the Pharisees. Because what were the Pharisees walking around saying? We are the children of Abraham. We are the true followers of Abraham. Paul is saying, no, 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 you're Hagar's boys. How do you think, that would, how, how do you think they would have felt right about that time? You think they would have said, well, thank you, Paul, and gotten a t-shirt, Hagar's boys? Probably not. They would have been offended. What do you mean? See, he was attacking their pride because that's what living and doing in ourself relies on is pride and self-reliance. Verse 26, get this, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free. This isn't a higher Jerusalem in the hills of Judea. This is a different Jerusalem that he's talking about. The, the Jerusalem that's above, the mother of all. Uh, Colossians 3.1 says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. Ephesians 1.3, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavens, or in heavenly places in Christ. Paul says the real Jerusalem, the place where those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, where your citizenship is, the real Jerusalem, the one that's above, is not a flesh. It is, look what it says, the real Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Paul uses this terminology, free. He said it is not under bondage. It is not going through the struggle of legalism. It is absolutely free. And then he goes on to verse 27. For it is written, rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry that travailest night. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. He's quoting Isaiah 54. 
Sing, O barren, that thou didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. This is what God told Isaiah to tell the children of Israel after they had been defeated and had been deported. He said, listen, God's going to restore. God's going to take care of you. This is a promise of God working in their hearts. And Paul says, again, this is amazing because this is to a Gentile crowd that he's saying this. He's using all of this Old Testament history to teach them because that's what he's been teaching when he was at the churches in Galatia. He says, listen, God said he's going to accomplish his will and he's going to do that. You can't be a child of slavery and be a part of the promise. You're either one or the other. Look at verse, the next verse. I forget which one. 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Here is another thing that Paul brings out. These two different ideas are at odds with each other. The idea of, well, hey, we, we just seem to have a few things that we do in the flesh, and then God is going to bless with the rest. He says, no, no, those things are against each other. They are, you cannot merge those two. You can't put them in the same room, and they work things out. People that rely on the flesh will rely on the flesh. There is no place for the Spirit. And people that rely on the Spirit rely on the Spirit. There is no place for the flesh. And that is the difficulty that Paul is trying to get across here. He says they will not merge. Listen, we have to stand in the gospel of grace. Some, sometimes Baptists are accused of being uh, exclusive. And there's a joke even out there that says, what's the most surprising thing going to be when Baptists get to heaven? To find out that there are people who aren't Baptists in heaven. And people will talk about that and they'll say, well, you people think that you just have the only way. There's, you're, you're not the only way. And I will readily admit, folks, that just because you are in a particular church or have signed up to a particular creed, that has nothing to do with your actual salvation. But understand, the reason we here at Grace Baptist Church do not partner with a wide variety of people is because the gospel is very, very pointed and unique. And when a person says, well, hey, we believe that you get grace through baptism, we have to stand up and say, no, you can't get it through baptism. Grace is by faith alone. You can't get it through the sacraments. You can't get it through this. You can't get it through that. And some people look and say, well, hey, well, there's Christians in other churches. And yes, just like there's, there's people who aren't Christians in churches that have the true gospel, there are many, many, many denominations that will stand up and they will say, listen, we preach that Jesus Christ died on the cross and you have to be saved by grace through faith alone. You get that grace when you get dunked. Paul was very strong in Galatians 1. And he said, if you preach any other gospel, let them be what? And any other gospel is anything taken away or anything added. If you come to my house and I tell you, hey, do you want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? What are you expecting on that peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Peanut butter and jelly. If I give you peanut butter and say, there's your peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you're going to say false gospel. Right? But if I give you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that also has pickles... You're going to say what? False gospel. And if I look at you and say, well, it's got peanut butter and jelly. What do you mean, legalist? No, no, no. The true gospel only has Christ on the cross died for you because you can't do anything to save yourself. Sorry to get too intense. But it is very, very important. But it's also very important as we're talking to individuals. Listen, don't think that because this person goes to a particular church or reads a particular person, that that means you have the right to go to them and tell them that they are not saved. Talk to the individual. Find out what they are trusting. You'd be surprised how many people have sat in this room and when you're there asked, do you know if you're going to heaven? They go, oh yeah, I was saved back and how do you know you're saved? Well, because I went forward in first grade and got dunked from Ms. Peterson's class. If you're trusting in anything other than the grace of Christ, you've gone to another gospel. And Paul says those things are at odds. Now let's keep moving, okay? Verse 30, and this is important. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. I know that there have been times when people have said, Pastor Gover, this seems like you are absolutely against certain things. And I want you to know, it is difficult for me to separate my personal struggles and not make them everybody's struggles. 
That's just the way I am. Evidently, everybody else on the face of the earth can do that, but I can't. And so if I struggle with something, I think most people have struggled with it. And some of you may feel and you may have heard some things said, man, it seems like Pastor Gover is really against this. I understand something. When you realize what the son of the flesh is in your life, there's no other thing to do but to cast it out. You can't give it a new suit of clothes. You can't give it a new name. You have to cast it out. Here's where I struggle. Some of the stuff that I do that I have to cast out isn't even in your wheelhouse. And you may not have even ever thought about this being a work of the flesh. And you may look at me and say, you mean this thing that you do not of a work of the flesh, you do out of love for the Lord, and you may be so in love with God, this is the way you do it. And I'm saying, listen, I can't ever do this again. You may look at me and go, are you crazy? So, well, yeah, that, that's, that's the way that I am. And it may not make sense to you. It's like when I first married Day, and she said she hated tomatoes. I thought, but you like tomatoes. You, you like spaghetti sauce and ketchup and, oh, that's not tomatoes. Yes, it is, Day. It's tomatoes. It's just finely chopped tomatoes. Well, I guess I, I'm fine with finely chopped tomatoes then. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, that, that doesn't make sense. Because if you, if, you like, if you don't like the taste, if you do like, but you know what? I found really quickly it doesn't matter if it makes sense. It's what she likes. So if it doesn't make sense to me that someone can stand up and say, I hate tomatoes, pass the tomato sauce. That's fine. And understand, when I stand up and I say that there may be some things that you may see as very, very difficult for me, and on the flip side, this is very difficult as well. There are some things that may not be at all difficult for me that you may think, well, how come he hasn't cast that out? You see, because we are not called to do the same except for to walk with Christ and to have a relationship with him. And that relationship with him means we look to him, not to somebody else. Now, can I learn from somebody else's example? Sure. I can watch a husband here treat his wife a certain way, and I can say, oh, well, that's very, that's nice how he treats his wife that way, but I had better adapt it for day. Because let, let, let's say I watch Edward Earwood. We, we go out to dinner, and I just notice how Edward is just so kind. Sorry, Edward, you're the last one I saw. And he says, oh, Debbie, you look so nice tonight. Oh, Debbie. And I say, wow, he says Debbie a lot when he talks to her. And she really loves him. And so I go home that night and I walk up today and I say, oh, Debbie. It's not going to work, is it? No. She's going to go, excuse me? And go, yes, Debbie. I'm doing all I can, Debbie, to try to make you happy. And she's, I'm not going to live long. See, I, I can learn from watching other people, but my relationship with day is my relationship with day. And your relationship with God is your relationship with God. And these universals that we talk about, well, you can never, you can always understand in a relationship, that's a difficult thing to lay out. And sometimes you will hear me get very strong because it is something that I have struggled with. And Paul says that bondwoman has to be cast out. Verse 31, so then brethren, we're not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And unfortunately, the chapter break is right there. But this is not the end of the thought. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Paul says, stand fast, therefore. Now when you see a therefore, what does it mean? You go back to see why it's there. Why for is the therefore, therefore. You're a son of the free. You're not son of the bond slave. Don't do anything that's of the bond slave. And so he says, stand fast in the liberty, in the true freedom that you have in Christ. Stand fast in the liberty where Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now what Paul has tried to describe here is he has tried to describe, listen, there are things that are going to be different about the person who operates from a base of grace and operates from a base of relationship and son of the promise, not son of the law. Now, let me see if I can illustrate this for you as we finish, okay? 
A number of weeks ago, we put up a number of different mathematical equations. And there was one mathematical equation that caused some of you consternation. Let's put that, that first one up. You plus God's law plus obedience. And some folks are thinking, okay, so Brother Goforth, if I hear you right, then I'm supposed to tell my children to stop obeying. So I, I, can no, I no longer have to pay my taxes. I can rob a bank. What if God's law says I don't need to obey it? No, no, no. But understand, if it's just you, and it's just God's law, and it's just obedience, that is what Paul has already said. That does not produce freedom. That is self-reliance that produces rebellion. Now, what I am not saying, and I did not clarify this, understand any human illustration breaks down always. If you were to continue, Paul finished with Hagar and Sarah. He did not tell us all of the information of Hagar and Sarah and try to make it fit into everything. He gave us what he gave us. Understand, there are times as human beings when we struggle in different areas and we make the choice to obey. I'm not saying that that is necessarily rebellion. But what Paul has been painting up to this point is a completely different equation. Let's put the different equation up there. Here's the equation. You plus desire. Now, well, the other equation that we have, we have the, all right, insert issue. That's just whatever, whatever you want to talk about. Going to church. Hey, we've got, we've got a number of different folks in here. So let's talk about going to church, loving your wife, submitting to your husband, obeying your parents, honoring your parents. Let's pay, pick some basic ones. If you say, okay, I know God tells me to love my wife, and you put that in there and you say, okay, I'm going to go through the actions of loving my wife, that is not what God wants you to do. Well, I'm, I'm going to have opportunities, I'm just going to submit to my husband, I'm just going to do it, God says, that's it, finish, who cares, I'm going to do it, what does my husband say, okay, this is what we're doing. Okay, mom and dad said to do this, all right, so I'm going to obey. I'm not saying that obeying is not ever what's going to be the choice in difficult situations, but there's a different equation that Paul has been laying out. Here's the equation. It's you and there's four areas that all line up that produce true freedom. It's desire and ability and opportunity and joy. Well, think through this with me, okay? It's not just you plus desire. Let's think about going to church, okay? The people that came to church today that had true freedom in church and had the ability to truly worship had the desire to be in church, the ability to worship, the opportunity to worship, and joy in worship. The purpose of this is not for you to manufacture either the desire or the ability or the opportunity or the joy, but to realize that you don't have that final thing, the final thing Christ in you, we called it the big word last week, do you remember? Started with an S, ends with sanctification. Very good, sanctification. See, when Christ is in you, when Christ is fully formed in you and working in you, you have the desire to worship. You have the ability to worship. You have the opportunity to worship you have joy in worship. If you have a wife, you have the desire to love her as Christ loved the church, the ability to love her as Christ loved the church through grace, the opportunity and joy. Now, are there times when I go to church or love my wife and there's not joy? Yes, but immediately I need to stop and go, Lord, you're not formed in me. Something's up. So I'm doing the right thing. But, but it's, it's, it's not right. Or sometimes I may have the desire, husbands, to not love my wife as Christ loved the church, right? We're sinful. Lord, I need you. I don't have the desire. I don't have the desire that I, that, that I should have in, in, in trying to love my wife as you have instructed me to do. Sometimes, fellas, you may have felt, I don't have the ability because I keep trying. This is what I used to tell myself all the time. I keep trying. She keeps changing the equation. But see, this ability 
When the desire is self-focused, I'm never getting to the sanctification. If this ability is self-reliant, I'm never, I'm never experiencing sanctification. If the opportunity is only through what I look through in my eyes, instead of submitting to the will of God, I never understand and see the opportunities. Now, that, I, I want this to sink in. I want you to get this, okay? When you look at different people in God's word, you will see them experiencing this Christ in you, this sanctification, and you will see them all the time having a desire, an ability, an opportunity, and joy. All four of those things are present. Now, you could, you could use different illustrations, but I don't want to use different illustrations. I, I read one person use the illustration of, of skydiving. You could have the desire to go skydiving and the opportunity to go skydiving, and you may jump out of the plane and experience joy, but if you don't have a chute, you don't have the ability. And so that joy is going to be what? Short-lived, exactly. At some point in time, you're going to say, the joy is, has gone out of this activity, okay? But those four things are there, they appear, but they are called many different things in Scripture. They're called a number of different things. Let's, let's put the number of words up there. It, it's called freedom, true freedom. It's called holiness. It's called walking in the Spirit. It's called all different kinds of things. It's called growing in grace. And it is absolutely confusing to other people. I want you to think of the story of Paul in the Philippian jail. Okay? They had the desire to preach the gospel. They had the ability to preach the gospel. They had the opportunity to preach the gospel. Did they have joy in preaching the gospel? Now, didn't they also have somebody beat them with rods? Weren't they also thrown in jail? But see, Christ was formed in them and the desire and the ability and the opportunity and the joy was all there. Now, what I am not saying, okay, I am not saying next week you wake up, it's Sunday morning. There's no desire to go to church. Honey, crank the boat up. We're going to Lake Murray. I'm not going to go into rebellion. No, that's when you have the conversation with God. God, it's, it's time for church. And I'm here. That's not where my heart is. Or it's time for church and we're singing and people are worshiping and you're sitting there saying, Lord, people are talking about God's grace and I see this person over here weeping and I, it seems as if something is disconnecting me from this ability to enjoy you. Lord, would you, and, and who are you going back to? The same person that you're going back to for desire. Or maybe some of you that are watching us on live stream and you've been watching because of illness or taking care of someone. You have that desire and you have that ability, but you haven't had the opportunity you're going back to the Lord. Lord, give me the chance to go back and be with my family and worship. Lord, give me another opportunity to submit to my husband. Give me another opportunity to obey my parents. Give me another opportunity to love my wife. And then if you know that you are doing something that you're supposed to be doing and it is supposed to be an honor to God, if it's not bringing joy, then you're going back to the Lord and saying, God, I'm telling people about Christ. I, I, I just, I shared the gospel. I'm, I'm witnessing to my neighbor. I'm doing these things, but Lord, I, I don't have this. I don't have this joy, Lord. I don't want to do it just because it's right to do. I want to have joy in it. You know, a long time ago, I heard somebody teach that as a father, you need to make sure and spend time with your children. And you know what's interesting about spending time with your children is that the ability sometimes is not there. The opportunity sometimes is not there. The desire sometimes is not there. There are different times when, honestly, and I know that I have some here this morning, but there are times when I don't want my children around. I want them around somebody else. Especially when they were little. And on Monday through Friday, they could not wake up until nine in the morning, but Saturday they woke up at four. <laughs> and my wife's sitting there thinking, you're complaining, you never moved. 
I was trying to train my kids. Dad is dead until late on Saturday mornings. There are times I didn't have the desire. There were some times I didn't have the ability. But see, when all of those things lined up, the desire, the ability, the opportunity, and the joy was effervescent. And what I am trying to get you to see from Paul is not that you should not read your Bible because it's a chore, but you should be spending time with God because if it is a chore, you're missing out on sanctification. And if you just keep going back to, well, I'm just going to power through and I'm just going to keep reading it and I'm just going to keep doing it, you're not going to get it. But if you go back to God and say, God, I need you. Some of you need to do this for prayer. Some of, us, some of us don't have the ability to pray. If we're not praying for our food, if we're not praying through it, we don't have time to actually commune with somebody who's not in front of us because we've never disciplined ourselves to actually talk to God. And so we need to learn the ability because if you don't have the ability, you don't have the true freedom. You're, you're hindered by your lack of ability. If you don't have the opportunity, you don't have that true freedom. If you don't have that desire, you don't have that true freedom. But when you have that desire and ability and opportunity and joy, you get to experience that freedom that is above, that is the Jerusalem where we have our citizenship. And Paul says, that is what I want for you. Stand fast. Don't give up on the areas where you don't have the ability. Pray to God. Seek the ability. Don't give up on the areas where you don't have the desire. Talk to God, Lord, I need this desire. Pray to God about the joy, Lord, I, I'm not having the joy. Some of you used to be so joyful as you sang in choir, as you sang, in the, and sometimes you just go through it. Sometimes I've got to stop in the middle of a hymn and say, God, I'm just singing. I'm not enjoying you. Don't let me sing. Help me to enjoy. Sometimes in the middle of staff meeting, I will say, Lord, I'm not enjoying this. That tells me I'm, I'm, I'm not walking with you. This isn't Christ work here. Because if I'm walking with Christ, things can absolutely fall apart. And you say, really, Pastor Goforth? Really? Have you heard the story about how we came up here? Both cars blew up on the way up. And my family's laughing about having to ride in trucks with complete strangers to go to a hotel, to get the car towed somewhere. I'm driving the, the truck on the, on the rest of the way up thinking, here we are. And our, our church in Florida, who for 10 years I've trained to be sarcastic, well, this is obviously the Lord's will. God's blowing your cars up 40 miles outside of Riverview. And they're giving me a hard time about running from God. It says, this is just like Jonah being swallowed by the whale. That's why your cruise is blowing oil all over the interstate. <laughs> Wonderful church they are. But do you know what we had? We had joy. Were we tired? Yeah. Were we out thousands of dollars? Yeah. Were we upset with the American car makers? Yeah. <laughs> but we had the opportunity to rejoice in the Lord. We had the ability to rejoice in the Lord. We had the desire to rejoice in the Lord. And what could have been a massive discouragement or something else is a funny story that we enjoyed because Christ is being formed in you. Some of you don't have the ability to enjoy Christ because Christ is not in you at all. You will never enjoy church. You will never be able to pray. You will never be able to read God's word because you do not have Christ in you. First, you must know Christ as your savior. You must have the confidence of knowing that you are walking with Christ. If you don't have that this morning, you can't just skip this and move on to step two. You have to start with salvation and then you move into sanctification. And when you do that, you enjoy full freedom that we get to stand fast in. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Simple invitation this morning. I'm going to ask just the piano to play, no singing. But perhaps you're here this morning, you don't have the confidence of your salvation. We've got some folks here at the front that would love to take their Bible and show you how you can be confident that Christ is in you, that you actually have Jesus Christ as your Savior. We would love to explain that to you. We would love to take our Bibles, and this invitation is for that. Our pastors are here at the front. I'm here at the front. 
If you don't know, if you don't have confidence in that, come forward. The, the, the fellow that was here that did the announcements at the beginning, I'm up here. The fellow that read the scriptures, he's up here. If, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, step out of that seat during this invitation. We're inviting you to get that settled. But maybe you're here. You know Christ is your Savior, but you haven't had joy in church in a while. Maybe you need to come forward and say, God, I know it's right. I need the desire. I don't have that desire and I'm missing that joy. Or maybe, maybe you're honestly here and you say, I, I, I know I should be reading my Bible, but I never do faithfully. Maybe you need the ability. Maybe some of you need to come forward and pray for that opportunity, but go to the Lord, not to the son of bondage, the flesh, to accomplish what he has for you. This invitation is simply an opportunity for you to be obedient to what God has laid on your heart. Lord, I ask that you'd be in this invitation. Help us to honor you in Christ's precious name. Amen. As the piano plays with heads bowed and eyes closed, the Lord speaking to you, step out of that seat. We're not going to have a long invitation. We're not going to extend it for a long time. We're not going to beg people to come forward, but if Holy Spirit is speaking to you, step forward, tell them exactly what it is that you're going to do with the truths that you've received this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that we have to be able to, Lord, take in, to chew on, Lord, to strengthen and nourish our souls. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to understand the importance of, Lord, experiencing that true freedom that's in Jerusalem that's above. Lord, some of us need help with our desire. We desire the things of the flesh. We don't desire your things. Lord, some of us need help with that ability. We don't know how to love our wife. We don't know how to respect our husband. We don't know how to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we struggle with how to worship. I pray that you would teach us, give us that ability. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that the lives that we live are the opportunities that you give us to see Christ formed in us. And Lord, the problems with our lives are not that we're not having the, the, the time to do what we want to do, but that we're not taking the time that you give us to accomplish what you want us to accomplish. So help us to go to you for those opportunities. And then Lord, help us not to settle for anything but joy. Lord, I pray that Grace Baptist Church would be the most joyous group of worshipers that South Carolina has ever seen. Not because we've got the best building or the best preacher or the best choir or the best piano player, but because we've got the best God. Lord, I pray that you would make us into your image, that Christ would be fully formed in us. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's precious name, amen.